I'm Matt Garrett Fisher, and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week, I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects, and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. In this episode, I talk to Jeremy Lipkowitz, who's a Search Inside Yourself certified teacher, a leadership coach, a meditation teacher, emotional intelligence trainer, and founder of Untangling the Mind. I met Jeremy in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I found out throughout his life, although he consistently achieved his academic and career goals, he felt empty inside and ultimately unhappy. This led to unhealthy addictions, which Jeremy also openly talks about. This episode is a fascinating discussion about purpose, meaning, and also some of the quite big career changes Jeremy has had personally in his life. And what I love about him is that he has a solid background in science, spending four years on his PhD in genetics, and throughout his quest for happiness, he's found some game-changing tools for high achievers and high performers to find meaning and happiness, with or without having to change the job or career you're in. In this episode, we discuss from being allergic to spirituality as a scientist to understanding it as a scientist, Jeremy's big career changes from science to trading tea to teaching mindfulness and meditation, how to decide whether to stay in your career or not if you feel unfulfilled. Practical tips to start uncovering purpose and meaning in your life to feel less empty inside. Shifting from a mindset of self-interest to one of contribution to others. And what's the one thing that makes Jeremy Lipkowitz burn from within? The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. I was really attracted to one of your recent posts that you made where you said, I know the times in my life where I've felt the least connected to meaning and purpose are the times I've been most susceptible to distraction, addiction and procrastination. Whereas when I'm driven by purpose, I don't need as much to keep me happy and content. And that really resonated with me. And I'm sure it resonates with a lot of listeners as well. Let's talk a little bit about go straight into that and, and talk about your background in experiencing that and, and actually writing that statement. Where did that realization come from and what changed? Yeah, that really goes right back into the depths of things. So you, you're really starting off on a fast note. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So for me, addiction was a big issue in my life back in when I was in college, especially. And it came out for me not in the ways that you usually expect it when you hear the word addiction. Usually we think of drugs and alcohol and things like that. And for me, it was much more along the lines of these subtle addictions, behavioral addictions, and things like seeking external validation, perfectionism, and being addicted to success, really. So I was one of these really high achieving students in college, setting all the curves in my classes, pleasing all my professors. And I was addicted to that success and that achievement. 
And at the same time, I was actually also addicted to pornography and sex addiction. And this is something I've talked about quite openly. And I know that there's so many people out there who struggle with this kind of silently because it's such a shameful thing. And I had this big realization in college when it really hit me that I was I had everything I wanted externally. Everything I set my mind to, I achieved. And everything I wanted to attain, I could attain. And I still wasn't happy. I still wasn't satisfied. And in fact, it was quite the opposite. That even though I had all these external successes, material wealth, friends, lovers, I felt quite miserable inside because I was always wanting more. I was always thinking I didn't have enough. And so I had this moment of this existential crisis of realizing that I needed to change something drastic. I needed to change something fundamental or else I would live out the rest of my life being miserable despite having all these amazing things happen to me. And so you said you needed to change. What did you look for? What were you searching for in order to change? And what did you discover as well? So I had that existential crisis, this kind of freak out, this one day of, it was a day of realizing that I was just so full of desire and so full of emptiness at the same time. And that those two were actually linked up, that the feeling of wanting what you don't have was actually a deep state of suffering, a deep state of, of feeling like you don't have enough. And that started getting me interested in just the topic of happiness. I started looking into what is happiness even possible what does it take to be happy? And during that time, I was a very scientific person. So I was studying the sciences in university and all of this spiritual stuff was just too, I was too allergic to it. Anything that felt kind of woo-woo or spiritual, I just couldn't touch it because it felt like nonsense to me. But eventually I found this book called Happiness and it was written by a Buddhist monk who he himself was a neuroscientist or he was a molecular biologist at some point. And so he had this deep background in the scientific world. And the way he explained meditation and mindfulness and Buddhist philosophy was from a very rational point of view. And that was when things started making sense for me, started making sense around what was my purpose? How did I find meaning? What was the nature of happiness? And also I really started understanding my own suffering. I started understanding what were the reasons that I was so unhappy in life? What were the reasons that I was feeling so much emptiness inside despite having everything going well? And so that started me on a path of uh, getting into meditation, getting into mindfulness, getting into this kind of secular Buddhist world of understanding the mind and the way the mind works. Okay. I want to revisit that actually and how that developed this path of mindfulness and meditation and, and the spiritual the spirituality that you've been developing. But I'm very interested in your career changes in particular. And I know that you, you were very largely based in science. You studied, I think, genetics at college. Mm -hmm. And so you're a scientist. I also read that you were a tea peddler and many other professions. Talk me through a little bit about some of your career changes and how you've ended up to where you're at now. I feel like I've gone through so many different lives already. I was a scientist and then I started a tea company and lived in Asia for a while and then doing coaching. The big transition for me, so even after I discovered mindfulness and I discovered Buddhist philosophy and it completely changed my life. So it turned my life in this 180 degree direction where I finally had a sense of meaning, 
a sense of deep inner fulfillment. But it wasn't then that I made my career change. So I actually stayed in the sciences for another maybe four or five years after that. Because what I realized is that you don't actually have to make a career change to find deeper meaning or to find deeper fulfillment. And that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about talking about and, and helping people understand is that you don't necessarily have to make this massive career change. You don't have to travel to Bali or to India. You don't have to shave your head or wear any special clothes. Now you can find a deeper sense of meaning right where you are doing whatever you're doing. And so for me, I carried that sense of meaning that I was finding through this kind of more spiritual path into my life as a scientist. And so after college, I ended up going to graduate school and I was working on a, a PhD program in genetics at Duke University. And I was there for about four and a half years working on my PhD. But what happened is when I got to Duke, I started offering meditation to the under, undergraduates and graduate students. And it was mostly a totally selfish way to just keep me consistent in my own practice. So I knew that meditation was really important for my well-being, my sense of fulfillment. And so I said, okay, how can I stay consistent for myself? And so I started offering this morning meditation Monday to Friday at 8 a.m. in the Duke Chapel. And over time, more and more people started showing up and I started teaching people the basics of mindfulness and meditation. And I realized a few things. One was that it actually was so deeply fulfilling for me to teach people about meditation, to teach people how to understand what's going on in their mind and how to work with some of the kind of emotions and depression, anxiety, and stress, particularly for academics, because academics are so stressed and wound up tight because it's such a stressful career. So that was one of the things I learned. But the other thing I learned is that people were telling me that the way I was explaining meditation was finally making sense that they had always thought of meditation as this woo-woo kind of nonsense, just like I had. But the way I explained it was very down-to-earth, very pragmatic and, and scientific. And I realized that there were a lot of people out there like me who needed to hear that meditation could be like this. They needed to hear that you could actually get into spirituality or wellness or whatever you want to call it, and you didn't have to join any religion or chant any funny words, anything like that. You could actually just be a normal person and live a more meaningful life. And so it was about four and a half years into my PhD program that I decided to actually leave my PhD, to leave the sciences altogether. Because I realized at that point, I didn't want to be a scientist. And I was so much more fulfilled by teaching people about how to live more meaningful lives. That's quite a brave decision to leave a discipline that you've you know, been studying for many years and pursue a, another path, right? What would you say to people who are in a career, but they're not happy and not fulfilled? How do you think with your experience in hindsight, they could deal with being in, in that moment right now mm -hmm. to approach the next chapter in their life? Because you talked earlier about, well, you don't necessarily need to change your career. So maybe we can explore a little bit more of that. Or how do, you, how do they know when it is the right time to change your career like you did? Yeah, it's a great question. And to answer, I could answer both of those with one answer, which is developing self-awareness and kind of emotional intelligence on top of that, developing this awareness of what's going on internally for you. 
is so critical to living a meaningful life. And it's also critical to understanding when is it appropriate to change your career and when do you not necessarily need to. Self-awareness is the foundation that all of that is built off of. And so, for example, a lot of the work around finding deeper fulfillment in your life has nothing to do necessarily with what's going on externally. That most of it, I'm just going to throw out a number, which is totally unscientific of me, but I'd say 90% of that sense of inner fulfillment or meaning comes from how you're relating to what's happening and the, the mindset you're bringing to what you're doing, the intention behind what you're doing. And then maybe another 10% is about what you're actually doing. And so there's so much that you can do in terms of getting connected with what are your values in life, getting aligned with what are your intentions, what are your values, how do you want to live? All of this stuff is internal work. And it's something that you can bring to every moment. It can, it's like, how do you interact with your colleagues? How do you interact with strangers on the street? What's the intention that you bring to the work that you do? You can find so much fulfillment and meaning just from changing these internal aspects of your life. And that starts with this quality of awareness, being able to understand what's going on inside of you rather than just looking externally. For me, that was one of the biggest transformations when I started learning about mindfulness was realizing that there's this whole inner world going on. So many of us high performers, as high achievers, are so focused externally. We're so focused on productivity and achievement and success and wealth and status and all these things. But we don't realize that the internal world is vast. There's a whole landscape in there. And the mindset that you bring to things changes your experience of your reality. And that's understanding that on an experiential level is really profound. Is there any practical tips you could start to suggest for people to adopt and start taking action on in order to start uncovering purpose and meaning and actually what is a direction that's yeah. going to move them towards feeling less empty inside? Totally. One of the, the first things I could say, this is, it's just so poignant because it affects so many of us. If you were to ask any one of these people that listens to your podcast or, or there's a guest on your podcast, if you were to ask them, hey, does money make you happier? Or does getting that next yacht make you any happier? All of us know theoretically that no, okay, money's not going to make you any happier and getting more followers on Instagram isn't going to make you any happier. Like we know these things are true, but our physiology is so ingrained towards that direction that even though we might know that it's not going to actually bring us happiness, we're still compelled towards trying to get them. And so the way to actually unhook yourself from those kind of empty pursuits, a lot of times we talk about one of the, the symptoms of this is feeling empty inside. Like you're, you know, you're super successful, but you feel empty. And it's because we're chasing so many empty pursuits, right? We're chasing things that don't actually fulfill us in the long run. So the way to actually unhook yourself from that is by directly seeing clearly that when you achieve these things, it's not leading to happiness. And the way to do that is through mindfulness. So really clearly seeing, this is what Vipassana is. Vipassana is one of these styles of meditation. And it, it's the main style that I was taught and the main style that I teach as well. And what it means when you break down 
the Sanskrit term, it just means seeing clearly into the nature of reality and having insight into the nature of things. And when you see that more pleasure doesn't bring you more happiness, you can, like when you see it on an experiential level, then it starts to unhook yourself from it naturally. And it's a lot like the way I describe it is if you put your hand in a fire, your hand will naturally retract. You'll naturally pull your hand back. You don't need to think, oh, this is really hot. It's burning my skin. Maybe I should pull my hand back. It's just the feeling of heat makes you recoil. And it's the same way if you observe the way that pleasure feels in the body when you're experiencing it, and you observe the impermanent nature of it and how it's not truly satisfying. If you eat a donut and you observe it really mindfully and you notice like maybe the first second is like intense pleasure and then it's neutral and then it starts to fade and you start to maybe feel sick. And when you start to see that on an experiential level, that's when you can start to pull yourself off of this cycle of addiction. So much of what I talk about is around addiction and being addicted to success, being addicted to all these things. Yeah. So I've done a Vipassana retreat in Thailand and with not that much meditation practice before, I threw myself in at the deep end. But one thing I noticed was you, know, you have a lot of time to think. When, you, when all these distractions are away, you do start to notice the patterns of your thoughts. And like you said, you're uncovering your unconscious reality, like your unconscious processes, like what's actually happening. It's so rare for people that are in nine to five, nine to six, uh, you know, eight to eight jobs. And then they come out of work and go to the pub or go to the gym. And, and society is constantly doing stuff all the time yeah. and to recognize and i recognize this in my life as well going to the pub was just crux to i guess quieten the the real reality that was going on in my mind that at some points in my life i wasn't happy at some points in my life i was feeling anxious and stressed at work and so i go back to vipassana it, it was a moment it was an opportunity 10 day opportunity to to really just listen to myself, listen to what was what was the reality. And I wish I'd done it years ago when I was in the corporate world. 10 day Vipassana retreat for people that are busy, have, have very busy corporate lives, might be quite difficult, especially with families and, and things like that. What can people do to, to start to find out their unconscious? patterns and the, their reality what's actually really going on in their lives aside from doing a, a 10 day vipassana retreat before i talk about what people can do i just want to you know, reflect on that is one of the reasons that those silent retreats are so powerful is you just see how powerful the mind is in terms of creating your reality you can literally be doing nothing but sitting in a room having a cup of tea and you can either be in a state of complete hell because of what's going on in your mind or complete bliss based on how you're relating to your experience. And it's all in your mind. It's so much of the, the drama that we experience is created by ourselves, created by having expectations about where we should be or shouldn't be or all these things. It, it's so great to, be, to have the time to go on a retreat like that. But you're right that most people don't have the space. Most people don't have the time and the space to go on a retreat like that. There's still so much you can do to start to become aware of these things. 
So developing a consistent meditation practice, particularly I'm a huge fan of mindfulness, which is this, this very bare, open awareness of what's happening. There's no goal to mindfulness. It's really about observing what's happening, particularly inside your experience. So what's going on in your body? What's going on in your mind? And this observation, you start to see what's happening in your life. You start to see the way you might be talking to yourself the way you might be beating yourself up. High performers, so many of us are really vicious inner critics, right? We're so nasty to ourselves. When you start to see that, you see how violent you are to yourself, you just naturally start to, to do less of it. But it requires seeing it first. So that's one thing is having a consistent meditation practice or reflection pr practice or self-awareness practice of some sort. The other big thing that I like to, to offer to the people that I work with or in some of the workshops I do is connecting with people that you really admire from that sense of how they're living their life. And for me, this was really important early on is seeing people that were living really good lives. They were really fulfilled from within and you could see it on their face, the way that they live. It wasn't about how successful they were they had this kind of inner radiance to them and reading about those people. For me, I think of people like the, the Dalai Lama or Thich Nhat Hanh or whoever you want to think of. People that have that inner glow is really powerful because then you start to, your vision of reality starts to crumble. If you keep thinking, oh, I'll only be happy if I can be a millionaire and have enough money to retire and go sit on a beach and drink a margarita, and you see those people and that they're miserable. And then you see someone who doesn't own anything except for a pair of robes and a begging bowl, and they're filled with happiness and contentment. You start to realize, oh, okay, maybe I'm not doing things right. Maybe I'm focused on the wrong things here. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I was running a NLP retreat in uh, the Himalayas, in the Indian Himalayas. And I, we met a few of the villagers out there, very poor people. They took us into their houses, very few material possessions. Yet I've never seen people with such a smile on their face and their eyes. Like it, there was something in their eyes. It was just, it was magical. And yeah. like you said, like I, I was comparing corporate London and <laughs> New York and people hustling and nowhere near the, the level of from within happiness that I was seeing there. Exactly. And I, I totally relate to it because at that moment, those series of, of days, the couple of weeks I was there, that really made me realize, hang on, okay, it, there's, there must be something else. And it's mm -hmm. not material possessions and it is got to be something from within. And I explored, I think I mentioned, I was talking to another guest about this. I was exploring this concept with one of the chief monks of one of the monasteries out there, key monastery in, in the Himalayas in Spiti Valley. And I said, why are all these villagers so happy? What's, what, what's the secret? What's their purpose in life? And he, he gave me many reasons, but one of the ones that really stuck out was two of them that stuck out was one was around, they all believed in karma and they, and actually mm -hmm. because of that, they, there was a massive community spirit and, and they believed that if they helped out their community, then they get it back because mm. karma was the principle. And so there was a huge community spirit there. And the other thing was that they regularly practiced a meditation. They were all Buddhists 
and they regularly practiced meditation and, and mindfulness and a lot of the, the the principles of Buddhism. And he said that really did contribute a lot to their happiness. There is obviously many other reasons, but that this simple act of of mindfulness of being aware of your thoughts for me like you said like seeing people who are lit up inside that's the game changer and if you can network or at least get in front of and start being inspired by uh, those people then perhaps you can start moving to a path where you become more like them yeah and i would also say you don't even have to necessarily network with these people like we live in a time where youtube gives you access to everything you could ever possibly want to learn about or see. And so you can watch videos of these great spiritual leaders from our past, you know, people that are really inspiring or watching documentaries about people living really good lives. And I want to make a side note that I think is really important is that I'm not promoting, and I think you're not as well, that need to give up your possessions in order to have that sense of spark from within. But it's that it's more about dismantling the assumption that so many of us Westerners have that happiness is to be found in success or validation or status or any of these things. And realizing that the mental qualities that we cultivate are so much more important for that sense of happiness. There's so many things you can do to cultivate that. Another little side note is the idea of karma. This is so interesting because when I was a scientist, when I was like really hardcore in my science and I heard the word karma, I always assumed that it was this hippy dippy bullshit, that it was like, oh, this is for people who believe in nonsense. And I thought it meant if you told a lie, then a piano is going to drop on your cat or something like that. It meant this magical thing. But the idea of karma can actually be understood very scientifically as well. And it's in essence, it's basically what we know about neuroscience and neuroplasticity, which is that what you do and even what you think about changes the structure and function of your brain. So the intention that you do something with actually has a karmic effect in the sense that if you were to give a donation and your intention behind doing it is, be, is a greedy intention, like you want people to think that you're a compassionate person and that's why you're giving a donation that intention is going to solidify. You're going to be hardwiring those neural pathways. But if your intention is to give because you care about the person, and that's the reason you're offering this donation, then that is getting solidified. And that is the concept of karma, which is that even what you do and the intention behind what you do is actually creating your future because you are solidifying different mental qualities. So karma, it literally changes your brain. And depending on what your intention is on, in every action that you take, that ultimately affects your life path. It could change your career. It could do many things. That's yeah. so interesting. I love that. Yeah, the way that I like to think about it, for me, the, the law of karma is basically the law of cause and effect. That what you do, everything that exists currently is because of the causes and conditions that came before it. And everything that you do in the present creates the causes and conditions for everything that comes later. And for example, the karma that comes from doing something out of generosity is that you get to experience the joy of genuine giving. And that is the good karma that comes when you are generous. So it's not if you give somebody $10, then 
three years from now, something magical is going to happen and somebody's going to give you that $10 back. It might, but that's not the main point. The main point is the effect of happiness that you get to experience when you act out of one of these wholesome mind states. Let's talk a little bit about the clients that, that you've worked with and some of the transformations or changes that they've had in their life as a result of the work that you've done around emotional intelligence, um, mindfulness, etc. What kind of results have you seen? And just observations in general yeah. in terms of how this affects people. Because a lot of people, if they haven't started mindfulness, they haven't explored meaning a lot of people want, I want results, I want an outcome. So could you give me some context there in terms of what you've seen and, and, and how it's affected people? Yeah, and it's one of the reasons I love working with high performers is because there's nothing wrong with wanting to get results and wanting to achieve things. And I think a lot of times in the spiritual communities, things like success or achievement or goals can get a bad rap. And we can think that any sort of goal-oriented thing is bad because it's like there's expectation. But I think that's not true. There's actually, there are very healthy, wholesome goals we can have and wholesome desires that we can have. So for example, if you have the desire to change the world or to end world hunger or to bring justice, you know, to people who deserve justice, there's so many wholesome things you can set out to do. and what I love is helping these high performers connect with a more meaningful goal. And so what I like to call them is mindful high performers. These are people who want to use mindfulness because they see that they can make a bigger impact on the world. They can create a better world if they're able to get their crap sorted. There's so much crap going on in the mind and if you really care about making a difference in the world, it's helpful to get your mind right. And so if your ultimate goal is to achieve more and to do more and to make a bigger impact, then cultivating this kind of mental hygiene is not just like a luxury, it's critical that you can't actually make a difference in the world if your mind is your biggest source of self-sabotage. If you're always doubting yourself or judging others or getting lost in addictions and in all these things, like we talked about at the beginning, like when you're coming from a place of meaning or purpose, you're less likely to get sucked into addictions that just pull you away into apathy or boredom or distraction. And so if you care about making a difference, then focusing on your mind is really important. Just related to that, Jeremy, one thing that springs to mind, particularly with high achievers, is a lot of them are good or bad, that they live from self-interest and, and maybe ego as mm. well. And this concept of maybe being selfish and, and then shifting to contributing to others and making an impact and a difference in the world. There are some people that, and I've been there as well, who think, I don't know if I want to run a charity. I don't know if I want yeah. to help out the poor. I want to buy more cars. I want to, all of that kind of stuff. So is there a way to start shifting from being selfish to making more of an impact? Yeah. First, I would say that understanding that we all start from selfish. It's how our bodies evolved. Our physiology is made to protect ourselves. We want to seek out what's pleasurable and we want to avoid what's unpleasant. And we want to care for ourselves because that's how we needed to be in order to survive. 
So first understanding that it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you're selfish. It means you're a person. And so the question becomes not necessarily how to shift that or coerce that, but really saying, okay, to each person, what do you truly want in life? And what you find from people when you start to do this kind of reflection is that what everyone wants on a deeper level is happiness, is real inner fulfillment. And that can come about in many ways, but you have to start with this understanding of what do you want behind what you think you want. A lot of people think, oh, I want, I want a six-figure you know, income. I want a big house. And it's okay, that's fine. Why do you want that? And if you keep digging deeper, you realize that what you want is security, stability, love, fulfillment, meaning. And so it's more about what's the best way to get you what you truly want which is that life of, of deep meaning, deep inner fulfillment. And so that's what I help people do. It's not about blaming yourself for being selfish. Like you can want nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's more important to connect with what do you really want? And that's the way I work is it, it, letting go of shaming. The shaming just doesn't work. So if you feel shame, like if you go to a spiritual community and they make you feel bad because you're a selfish person, it's not going to be helpful. You have to learn how to accept yourself and start from there. So something's popped up in my mind related to addiction. And addiction is, you could consider it like a, a selfish action. You're using behavior for self-gratifying purposes. And this concept you just mentioned about going deeper and finding out what's the purpose behind that? What's the purpose behind that? Let's talk about purpose and addiction. You openly said that you were addicted to porn and, and sex. And there's many people that listening that are addicted to that and, and many other things, alcohol, many other things. Is, is this concept of finding purpose behind your actions, can you do that for addiction as well? And how can you shift away from that? Yeah, it's so interesting because we say in the addiction field that the substance is never the, the problem. It's, it's the attempt to solve the problem. So if you're addicted to alcohol, it's not the alcohol that's causing it. It's you reaching out to alcohol is you trying to fix some underlying emotional struggle that you're having, trying to escape from something, trying to numb out from something. And so understanding that behind all of these addictions, no matter what the addiction is, whether it's drugs or alcohol or behaviors or gambling or video games, it all comes from this desire to be safe. It all comes from this desire to protect yourself and to feel good. The problem is that it's just, it gets out of control and it, it overtakes the system where you don't know how to turn it off. And so having that understanding that, oh, this comes from a healthy place inside. It comes from a place of me wanting to protect myself or maybe needing to protect myself when things were too intense. Understanding that it has that wholesome root can help you find the self-compassion and the self-acceptance to then begin to work with it in a healthy way. Because if you're judging yourself about it and feeling this sense of shame, you're not going to be able to really work with it. Before I ask my last question, Jeremy, where can people find you and how can they find out more about delving into purpose and meaning in their life? Yeah. So I have an upcoming webinar. It's going to be a free masterclass online. It's called How to Design Your Meaningful Life. 
And it really addresses this exact question of if you're a high performer, if you're a six-figure you know, business owner, if you're someone that has all this external success, but you feel empty inside, how do you start to begin to design a meaningful life that will lead you to that state of inner fulfillment? So you can find that online if you go to my website, jeremylipkowitz.com, and just look for the link that says free webinar. That's a great place to start. And then beyond that, in January, I'll be launching a group coaching program called Beyond Success. And this is for people who are ready to move beyond success to get out of this kind of productivity trap and take action on building that fulfilling life. That's awesome. Amazing. I mean, that's so useful for, for so many people who have that empty feeling inside and they've been chasing something and not really knowing why, but why they've been doing what they've been doing for many years, maybe their whole life. I'll put all the links to those courses, the masterclasses in the show notes for, for this episode. So Jeremy, my last question, I call people that live with passion, purpose and balance. They're burning from within. What would you say is the one thing, Jeremy, that's enabled you to live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within? So often it, it comes down to kindness and, and kindness for yourself and kindness for others. And understanding that kindness is not a weakness, it's a strength. When you can be compassionate towards yourself, a lot of people think that it's, it's a weakness if you're kind or if you're compassionate, but realizing that gives you a strength when you start asking the question, who am I here to fight for? Who am I here to protect? That gives you a, like a source of strength and energy and vitality that is, it's unmatched. And so if that's the, the one question you could ask yourself is, who can I take care of? Who can I help? And that will go a long way. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reflect on that. I think I instantly relate to all the, the mothers and fathers. When you have a child, suddenly you have a purpose in life. And there's so much meaning behind having children. And there's an underlying kind of root factor pattern there of, well, okay, what else can I care for? Who else can I care for and serve? And it doesn't necessarily have to be with children, there's a whole world out there that you can find purpose for. And I'm sure people will uncover more of that in, in your upcoming masterclass and, and group coaching in, in January. So thank you. I, I loved it. I loved it. It was a great conversation around purpose, around career change, around addiction, about your own life experience. And yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it today. Thank you. Yeah, so did I. Awesome. I love that interview. And the question at the end Jeremy brought up that helps him to burn from within and explore the meaning in his life. Who am I here to fight for? Who am I here to protect? And it immediately shifts you into a purposeful mode, away from self-interest, and you can apply it to so many areas of your life, from your customers or colleagues in your career to your loved ones. Share your insights from reflecting on this question by emailing me, matt, M-A-T-T, at burnfromwithin.com. That's matt at burnfromwithin.com. And I will share these with Jeremy and also in a future episode. And of course, you can remain anonymous if you like. Now, I'm loving the reviews that keep coming in for the show. A shout out to Naomi Allen from the UK who left this five-star review on iTunes. She said... 
love this podcast. At a time when we're all being forced to think about how fulfilled we are in our personal and professional lives, this series has really challenged me to consider the changes I need to make for myself. Listening to Matt's own experiences and that of his guests about their challenges, decision-making processes, and the lessons they've learned has been insightful, and I've even begun to apply some of this learning in my own life. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to future episodes. Well, thank you so much for these. It really makes the work I do, editing and producing and finding great guests, mean so much. So keep them coming in. And you can leave a review super easy now. We're going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash burn from within. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash burn from within. Just select the podcast platform you use to listen to this. And then the site will tell you the exact instructions for your platform on where and how to leave a review. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within.